I have to admit, uh, to start off this morning, that I'm a little bit jealous of you second service folks this morning, because I really wished I could have slept in a little bit later, <laughs> after all that whole time change business. And of course, the nights that you know that you're not going to get enough sleep, and you're like, okay, if I fall asleep now, I'll get this many more minutes, and then one of your kids wakes up in the middle of the night, and then it's just all, ugh, it's all gone. But I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to continue on in this series that we started last week. And as we forge ahead into this Lenten season, we're taking the time to explore why Jesus came, and we're taking the time to explore why the gospel is the gospel. And what I mean by that is that the very definition of the word gospel is good news. And so that begs the question, why and how is the gospel good news? Because like the bumper video said, oftentimes we aren't experiencing the gospel as the power of God. We might believe it intellectually, but we struggle to live it out. We struggle to allow it to impact our day-to-day -day lives. And that struggle is why last week, as we kicked the series off, uh, we stopped to take notice that Paul, who is the author of the book of Romans, he said this in our series theme verse, coming out of Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He said, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. We're going to come back to that verse in just a second. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul's saying, I'm eager, I am especially excited about preaching the gospel, about clarifying the good news with those of you to whom I am writing in Rome. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember who was Paul writing to in Rome. Pastor Rick told us that he was writing to the church, right? He was writing to believers. He was writing to people who had already accepted the gospel. And so we asked the question last week, like, why would Paul be so excited about preaching the gospel to a group of people who had already heard it? Why? It's because for all of us, the church in Rome included, it's easy sometimes for the message of the good news to feel a little bit like a message that is old news. It's easy for it to become a message that our depravity and that our culture twists to the point that it's not having its intended impact. Here's what Paul wanted them to hear, and here's what we want you to hear and to, to understand throughout this series, that the good news of the gospel is not that it was a, a one-time event that saved us, not that it was something that gave us power to overcome our past sins, but that it is something that gives us power for today, for this very moment. Power to transform us. Power to help us experience the life that God designed for us to live. Last week, we talked about the true nature of the gospel, and we used this illustration of the gospel ladder uh, that maybe for you guys, when you experienced it, I know uh, the first time I experienced it six months ago, it was one of those illustrations to me that was just like, wow, this makes so much sense, <laughs> and I needed to hear this explained to me in that way. In fact, it's such a powerful illustration, and it's so important that we understand the true gospel that we're going to continue to return to this all series, because understanding the true gospel truly does change everything. And so if you weren't here last week, first of all, I would encourage you uh, to take a listen, go back, take a listen to last week's message because it was a great kickoff to this series. But also I want to give you just a real quick version of the gospel ladder since it's going to be a pretty pervasive part of our conversation today that we're going to build upon. 
So the gospel ladder, the true gospel, must start at the top with who God is. Holy, loving, kind, just, patient, right? Those are just a few of God's attributes. We could go on and on and on about those. And who God is determines what God does. If God is loving, then what he does is loving. If God is patient, then he will act in patience. And then based on who God is and on what God does, he invites me to be who he has made me to be. Who God is and what God does determines who I am. And God's word says that we are made in God's image, that we are highly loved and highly valued. And so then finally, when I have a true image of who I am, because of who God is and because of what God does, then it will determine what I do. Now here's the rub that we talked about last week, that the gospel is meant to flow down. It's meant to come down the ladder. Those phrases, those rungs on the ladder, they have a because relationship. Because of who God is, we can know what God does. Because of what God does, we can know who we are. Because of who we are, we can get a clear picture of what and why we should do what we do. Because is how it's meant to work. But oftentimes we end up associating those phrases or those rungs on the ladder with a different word, with the word if. And when we do, it forces us to go the wrong way on the ladder. See, for some of us, when we think about our relationship with God, we're constantly saying or thinking things like, if I'm good enough, if I succeed, if I prove myself to him. And you can probably see the problem with this, <laughs> that in that version of the gospel, where does it start? It starts with us, right? All the pressure, all the focus is on us in that version of the gospel. If I do good things, then maybe I will be a good person. And, and if I'm a good person, then maybe God will do good things to bless me. And if God does good things to bless me, then maybe I'll believe that he's good, that he's loving. The sad thing about that version of the gospel is that it has no power in our lives because it's totally reliant on us. <laughs> unscrewed up, sinful, can't do right all the time, regardless of how hard we try us. The gospel, remember the word gospel means good news, but that version of the gospel, <laughs> that is definitely not good news. And yet most of us live our lives so focused on that bottom rung of the ladder. For instance, when you meet someone, what is one of the first questions that tends to come up in conversation? You ask them, what do you do, right? <laughs> Someone ever ask you that, and you kind of inside want to answer it sarcastically? Like, well, I do a lot of things. Um, I make sure that my toddler doesn't walk around with a load in his diaper all day long. Um, I do the dishes occasionally. Uh, I tell dad jokes without even trying. Uh, I even work a shower in every once in a while. I do a lot. <laughs> but seriously, why do we jump to asking this question of each other so quickly? It's because we have been convinced by our culture that we are what we do, right? I mean, how many of us, even if we don't really want to admit it, find ourselves living out this statement, that what you do and how well you do it determines how valuable you are. What you do and how well you do it determines how valuable you are. Does anyone else constantly have that mindset? 
running through their head. For me, this is a constant struggle. It's a constant compelling voice that comes up from inside of me. And so in response to it, I work hard. I do so much because somewhere along the way, I've been taught that to believe, I've been taught to believe that in order to have value, I've got to prove myself in the eyes of others, right? Maybe even prove myself in the eyes of God. Robert McGee is the author of a book entitled The Search for Significance. And in this book, he talks about a trap that we all have a tendency to fall into, and we'll call it the performance trap. McGee essentially says that one of the biggest, most pervasive common lies in our culture is this. It's that if I fail to perform, I'm not worthy of love, and I deserve to be punished. If I fail to perform, I'm not worthy of love, and I deserve to be punished. And so we find ourselves stuck in this trap. We find ourselves running on this endless treadmill of perform and prove, perform and prove, perform and prove, and it keeps coming faster and faster and faster. And so we keep running all with the hopes that maybe, just maybe, we will be worthy enough to be loved because of what's the bottom rung of the ladder say? Because of what I do, right? Look at all of the ways this gets perpetuated in our culture. First of all, how about our good old friend, jolly old Saint Nick, Santa Claus, right? We kind of, if you look at it from the outside, we kind of make Santa Claus this godlike figure to our kids, right? Like, think about the song, he sees you when you're sleeping. Like, apparently Santa is all present, just like God, right? He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. Apparently, Santa is also all-knowing. He knows if you've been bad or good, so what? So be good for goodness sake, right? Perform. Be worthy. Because Santa apparently is also all-powerful and has all of the control over whether you get good things or bad things. And so we teach our kids, your deeds must be good. You must perform so you can get good things. We teach our kids to walk up the ladder <laughs> at an early age. And then we get older, right? Middle school, high school, college. And we feel this performance pressure in everything we do, in our schooling, in our extracurricular activities. Like our performance is constantly being evaluated by everyone looking in at us from the outside. It's all about how we do. And so before the big test, before the big game, we have this lie swirling in our heads. I better perform. I better perform. I've got to prove to everyone that I'm worthy of love. I've got to prove to everyone that I'm valuable or people will look at me like I'm a failure. Eventually we grow up, we get a job, we realize the same system seems to be in place, right? If I perform well, I've got this opportunity to, to earn a raise, to earn it. If I don't, I'm at risk of getting fired. And so we constantly coach ourselves, I better prove that I'm worthy through my performance, because if not, instead of love, instead of being rewarded, I'm going to get punishment. You know, for some of us, we've even experienced a job loss. And even if our employer tells us, it's not really about you, still in the back of your mind, you find yourself questioning, was it about me? Was it about my performance? Maybe I'm not worthy enough. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't prove myself enough to succeed in this job. The world preaches this message of perform to prove. <laughs> and so we spend our lives proving to our parents, proving to our friends, proving to our teachers, proving to our spouse, proving to our boss, even proving to God that we're worthy of love, 
that we have value. If we just work harder, maybe they'll see it. We keep hopping on this performance treadmill because we only feel as good as our last accomplishment. Maybe that helped us feel worthy for a few moments. Maybe that helped us feel worthy for a few weeks. But as that feeling starts to fade, we fall back into that performance trap and we chase that elusive worth and value yet again. And so here's the question I have to ask myself and ask you. And it's a Dr. Phil question. You probably know what it is. It's how's that working out for you, right? (laughs) But it's a real question. It's a question I want to ask you. How's that working out for you? Because for me, it's exhausting. It's draining. It's life-taking. It is energy and spirit sapping. That version of the gospel does not feel like good news. (laughs) But what if we could live differently? What if it was possible to go after that A-plus without anxiety totally clouding our minds? What if we could go after a risky project at work or take a risk in leadership for God's kingdom and just feel this sense of peace regardless of the result? What if the gospel could relive, uh, re, uh, release us rather, to live like we have nothing to prove? For you and for me, what would that change? It would change everything, right? And so instead of us starting on the bottom rung, as it relates to our performance, what if we started instead at the top? And what if, as we talked about last week, we got ourselves into this habit of preaching the true gospel to ourselves every day? And so if we start at the top, the top rung of the gospel ladder says what? It says who God is, right? Who is God? What is God like? I gave a short list earlier, but Let's take one example of a verse that we could preach to ourselves from Psalm 103. As we read it, I want you maybe even just to consider underlining some of God's attributes that you see in this verse. So Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate, compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. Those are just four of his thousands of character traits. But how do we know those to be true about God? How do we know that God is those things? It's because of the next rung on the ladder, right? What God does. Because the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, Paul shows us in Galatians chapter 4 what God did. He further unpacks the good news of the gospel. Starting in verse 4, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And I want to stop there because I want to take notice in those verses of all that God did, all of the sending that God did because of his compassion and his grace and his patience and his love. Maybe you want to underline these phrases. God sent his son, verse 4. Verse 5, God sent him. Verse 6, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And then Paul reminds us that without the true gospel, when we're living out the false, false gospel, that we are slaves to the law. 
What does he mean, the law? It's like he's saying that we are slaves to having to perform, to having to fulfill the letter of the law, to having to do all of the right things in order to be acceptable, in order to be worthy of love. Instead, Paul says, God bought our freedom. And why does Paul say that God bought our freedom? Why did he do that? He did that so he could adopt us, so we could find our identity as his very own children. If you look at verse 7, it expounds upon that a little bit more. He says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are God's child, God has made you his heir. Look at how what God does, what God did, look at how that speaks to who we are. Because God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, he sent his son and he sent his spirit. That's what he did to set us free so that we could be his children adopted into his family. I want you to think for just a minute about the difference between our identity being found in fulfilling the letter of the law, being found in what we do, versus being found in being God's child. I mean, think about the difference of where our focus is and how our energies are spent in life, where our mental energies go, when we view ourselves as slaves to an unpleasable slave master, the law, versus in us finding security in the love of an unconditionally loving father. It's an immense difference, right? I mean, when the status of our identity is entirely contingent upon our own righteousness, then good luck to us all, right? <laughs> because we will never measure up. But when the status of our identity is entirely contingent on the all-powerful, all-loving God of the universe, our identity is set. It's firm. <laughs> it's unchangeable. That who I am piece is a huge one for us, right? It's a constant battle. And it's a battle that verse 6 shows us that God is constantly trying to help us win. Paul says God has given you his power through his Holy Spirit that is constantly speaking to you, constantly trying to encourage you, prompting you to call out to God your Father, to seek your identity in who he is, to seek your identity in having a love relationship with him, not to seek your identity in what you do. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to us. And yet I wonder if some of us are resisting it because of the false gospel that we're preaching to ourselves, the gospel of lies <laughs> preached by the king of lies. The gospel of you're unworthy. Just look at what you've done. The gospel of you're not good enough yet. You haven't done enough. The gospel of God doesn't really love you because he knows what you've really done. He knows who you really are. Satan does a great job of preaching the false gospel to us and getting us to preach it to ourselves. He loves dealing in lies. But you need to hear the truth. The truth is that you are beloved, that God loves you. The truth is that God is not mad at you. The truth is that he doesn't determine your worth to him based on your ability to perform. And that is good news. This passage in Galatians shows us that we are not outsiders, we're not strangers, we're not these unpopular people that have to try to win or earn our way to having worth in God's eyes. No, we are God's loved children, and we get the privilege of finding security 
in a relationship with the God who is all of those things that we talked about and who does so much for our good. Knowing who we are, knowing who we truly are to the God of the universe, to the one who matters most, that can totally transform the motives behind why we do what we do. Because of who God is, because of what God does, because of how those things speak to who I am, what I do can be motivated from a place of gratitude and security and pure motives. The gospel that Paul preached, the true gospel brought about by Jesus Christ, is not you need to change and then God will love you. No, we don't change so that we are proved acceptable to God. Jesus made us acceptable so that we can change. I want to give you a minute to fill those blanks in, but then I want to repeat that again because I want it to sink in, not just to your head, but I want it to filter down to your heart as well. It's that we don't have to change so that we can be proven acceptable to God. Jesus made us acceptable so that we can change. On the cross, Jesus made change possible because he made us acceptable to God. He made it so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees his son. It's that big word justification that we talked about a few weeks ago. And beyond what Jesus did on the cross, it says that he also gave us a helper. He gave us his spirit to indwell us so that we quite literally have 24-7 access to the power of God to help us change. We've got to stop listening to this false gospel that says it's all about what we do, that it starts there, that we can't be somebody unless we do something worthy. It's not how God designed it to work. That's never how God intended for it to be. From the very beginning of God's love story with us, it was all about who he made us to be. If you think back to Genesis 1 in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our own image. And so he did. He made us in his own image. Now, do you see God say to Adam and Eve, listen, if you do all the right things, then you'll reflect my image. He never said that. There were no ifs, ands, or buts. Actually, in creation, there were a few buts. And I'm sorry, I have a four-year-old, so I'm taking a moment of levity in the service here <laughs> to acknowledge that God created buts. No, at creation, in love, God created us in his very image. And God's beginning assumption was this. I say who you are. Not what you do, I say who you are. And that enables you to do out of who you are. But then the serpent comes along in Genesis 3 and he's like, are you guys sure about that? Are you sure that that's how it works? Are you sure that it's not what you do or what you know? I mean, don't you think it'd be better just to eat that fruit that God told you not to eat? God doesn't want you to eat it because if you eat it, you'll get to know what good and what evil is the way that God knows it. Imagine how important that would make you to the rest of the created world. No, you aren't who God says you are. You are what you know. You are what you can attain. And so go and strive and know and attain. That will prove your worth to the world. Satan's first sermon was the false gospel. And ever since, we have gotten really good at preaching this false gospel to ourselves. Someone helped me think about that a different way this week than I'd thought about it before. 
They said, listen, every time you preach the false gospel to yourself, it's like you're saying amen to Satan. Like, Satan, I agree with you. So let it be written. Let it be done. You're right. I've got to earn my way in this world. Amen, Satan. I'm on the same page. Isn't it time we stopped agreeing with the evil one and started agreeing with God? Isn't it time to embrace the true gospel where God says to us, you are my children, and so you get to do what my children would do? And here's where this gets tricky, though. It's that some of us are doing good things. We're doing what God's children would do, but we're doing it with the wrong motivation. Instead of doing good things because of who we are in God, we're doing good things trying to earn a right standing with God, trying to please God. We're trying to earn who we are. And this motivation to please God can easily turn into a motivation to please others, can it? To prove to them that we are worthy and valuable, even in the good things that we do. I want to invite you to watch Linnea Hollander's story. Linnea is a member of our Good Hope Road family, and she took some time this week uh, to share her journey of fighting through this false gospel, of having to prove who she was based on what she did. So train your eyes to the screen. Watch this with me. About eight years ago, I was serving hard in ministry, and I was enjoying being on a team that I was a part of. On the outside, everything looked like it was going great, and that I had everything under control. On the inside, however, I was struggling, but I was doing a great job of hiding it and not allowing anybody to see what was really going on. This went on for quite some time, until it somewhat got the best of me, because it's really hard to bottle up your real emotions and feelings um, and not allow people to see them. Looking back, I can see that I was stuffing my, my feelings and emotions of anger and frustration. Eventually, I began doing what I call leaking because I couldn't keep those feelings bottled up inside any longer. And they began to show on the outside and I no longer felt like I had control um, of my emotions. It was suggested to me that I take a ministry break to take some time to sit back, process what was really going on within me. I had been serving in ministry for so long that I didn't know who I was if I wasn't serving. I didn't know what people were gonna think of me and I didn't like that I was concerned with what would they think of me if I wasn't serving on a Sunday morning? Could my team manage without me if I wasn't there? My identity was so wrapped up in the things that I was doing that I had to prove myself to other people to have any kind of self-worth. I worried about what people thought of me. It was definitely time for me to find out who I was and who God created me to be because I was pretty sure that the person, um, this anger and frustration that I had become wasn't who God created me to be. As I spent time with God and with other spiritual leaders, I was able to process my feelings and emotions. It took a long time. It was a long, slow process. Definitely not something that I was able to do overnight or was even willing to do. At first, I was even unwilling to recognize that I had done anything wrong, that I needed to change anything. I had told some people that I was coming back to ministry and when I was coming back to ministry and 
when I did, here's the things that would change and here's what I needed people to do to be different so that when I came back it would be better and I could have things under control and it would all be great. That isn't what God had intended for me. And with some great um, mentors and some people who were committed to helping me at this point in my journey, I was able to have some clarity um, and peace about who God had created me to be. After about a nine month ministry break, I made the decision to resign from a ministry that I loved serving in and a ministry that I had served in for many years. It was time for me to let go of the control that I thought I was so good at and let God be in control and just be free to be me, the person he created me to be. I wasn't able to get to this place quickly. This, as I said, was a long and slow process and a journey for me. Um, and it's something that I still need to be aware of today to not allow myself um, to want to prove myself to other people, but stand firm um, and know that God loves me for who I am and who he created me to be. I love the part of her story that when she finally realized that she didn't need to prove her worth to God or to others by doing this ministry she had served in so faithfully, her no to that ministry actually opened up the door to a new ministry yes for her, but it was a yes that was coming from the right motivation. Linnea now helps to lead a group called Theodicy that helps other people identify the ways that they have allowed past hurts and how they have allowed the lies of the enemy to speak to them and how that's impacted the way that they live out the gospel. For her now, instead of trying to climb up the gospel ladder, instead of working hard to try to prove her worth and try to prove her value to God and to others, she now comes down the ladder. She works smart because what she does is now motivated by who she is in God. And that's the power of the true gospel. It's a complete about face that changes everything. It changes our core motivation. It's no longer about having to try to please God through what we do. It's no longer about being motivated by fear of I'm, not, I'm just not quite enough. Instead, we have the privilege of trusting that we are who God says we are his loved son or daughter, so that what we do can just flow naturally from that. The great invitation of the gospel is this, to accept God's love by faith instead of trying to earn it by works. Accept God's love by faith instead of trying to earn it by works. Because of Jesus, our good deeds don't actually make God love us anymore. Our bad deeds don't make him love us any less. God's love is a given. And so if we know that... <laughs> Because of that, because of the gospel, it frees us to live like we have nothing to prove. Because of the gospel, you can live like you have nothing to prove. That's what going down the ladder does. That's what placing our faith in Christ does. Can you imagine living your life with nothing to prove? Can you imagine the freedom that that would give you? Can you imagine the peace that you could experience as you lived out your day-to-day -day life? Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 5, 1 through 2. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. <laughs> what is the gospel? Is it that we've been justified by our own actions, by our own good behavior, by being moral people? 
No, it's that we've been justified by faith in what Jesus did. (laughs) On the cross, God laid on Christ every bit of justice, every bit of anger about our sin. He removed it from us so that we could have peace with God, so that we could have confidence in our standing with God. You know, some of us live our relationship with God like it's some sort of like spiritual banking account. And we do good things so that we can make deposits into this account, right? We give to a good cause, we serve in children's ministry on Sunday, we show up to small group, maybe a few times a week we try to crack our Bibles, right? And we hope that these deposits will cover our most egregious wrongs, that they'll cover our highest bills, our, the biggest debts that we owe. But the truth is that that is the false gospel. And the real gospel is this. If that's the analogy we're going with, what really happened is the moment that we believed in Jesus, when we accepted God's offer of salvation, he gave us a life's fortune that we will never be able to spend down. He deposited his spirit into our account, and we now have absolutely everything we need to change and to grow and to thrive. We even have everything we need to overcome our sinful nature. In Christ, we have nothing to prove. And Christ's work on the cross is greater than all our sin, greater than all our doubt, greater than all our shame. And this morning, by faith, you can receive the true gospel, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've forgotten what the true gospel is all about, and you just need to reaffirm it. You need to re-entrench it in your life today. Imagine if today could be the day that you start reminding yourself every day that you have nothing to prove, that because of what Jesus has done, your account with God is settled, and that allows you to live with joy and peace and freedom regardless of circumstance. That's what we want to encourage you to do this week. If you would take your outline and flip it over onto the back. Each week of this series, we're giving you an opportunity to do a fast, to reflect on some different questions, to pray a weekly prayer. And this week, your fasting challenge, because Lent is a season of fasting for focus on God, your fasting challenge this week is to fast from proving yourself, to identify the places or relationships in your life where you're performing to prove yourself worthy. And whenever you notice that you're performing to prove, to take that as an opportunity to stop, to preach the true gospel to yourself, that God has everlasting love for you, not based on what you do, but based on who you are as his child. The gospel, the good news, it's meant to set us free. And so this week, I want to encourage you, engage in that fast, engage in those reflection questions, Pray that prayer every day. Contend for your freedom. The next few minutes, we're going to take the opportunity to just respond to how God has spoken to us this morning. And you can use your response card that's in your program guide to do that. You can go back to the prayer room to be prayed for by one of our prayer partners if you'd like. But before we move forward with that, I want to pray for the first time our weekly prayer, kind of give you a chance to ruminate in it for a little bit. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I'll pray that prayer over us this morning. Father, we are not always aware of our tendency to perform. Oftentimes for us, it's an unconscious response. We just kind of do it naturally. 
our motives at times are so hidden that we don't even see when we're trying to prove our worth or our value to others or to you. And so, God, our prayer this week is that you would open up our eyes, that you would help us notice, that you would reveal to us the places where we're carrying the weight of responsibilities as if we have to prove ourselves worthy of your love. God, remind us this week that because of our faith in Jesus, you have declared us lawless, that we literally have nothing to prove to you that our worth and our value in your eyes is fixed. And God, for some of us today, we have the opportunity to believe or to embrace that truth for the very first time. And if that's you this morning, I want to just invite you to pray this prayer in your heart. Pray, God, I believe that you're a loving father. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe that you took the punishment of my sins and you put them on him so that I wouldn't have to try to earn my way into your good graces. So God, this morning, I want to say thank you for doing that. I want to ask that you forgive me of all that I've done. But I also want to ask that you would lead me for the rest of my life. I want to learn how to live life in your power so that I can experience joy and peace and freedom. And for others of us this morning, we just simply need to pray, God, thank you for the reminder of the true gospel. Thank you for bringing it back front and center. I throw off the false gospel I've been living out and I embrace the true gospel. I embrace what you've done so that my value doesn't have to come in what I do. Thank you that that's the way that it works. Thank you, God, for who you are, for what you do, for who we are in you, so that what we do can flow from that. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.